Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 177 of the podcast, and we are going to talk about reels. Now, I talk a lot about fly rods, because fly rods are pretty fantastic. They're fun to use, they're fun to hold, they're fun to look at, they're fun to collect, Um, but reels are pretty darn important too. But that being said, I would say that for every one article or podcast that I do about reels I'm casting across, there's probably about seven on fly rods. But the crazy thing is I go downstairs and I probably have one-to-one rods and reels. Uh, I have as many reels as I have rods. But being a primarily trout guy, uh, my reels aren't nearly as exciting as my rods. But I do have some, some good reels and so I am going to give them their moment in the sun. So we're going to talk about a few different things to think about with fly reels. Not necessarily how to choose them, although a lot of the things that we're, I'm going to mention today are going to factor in potentially on how, how I choose a fly reel. But just a few things to think about with reel maintenance, with pairing other gear with your reel, and I guess a little bit of reel selection too. So the first thing, and there's an article called The Tale of the Tape uh, back on Casting Cross from a while ago, and this is one of the things I think is not talked about nearly enough, and that is you want your reel to balance well with your fly rod. You want your reel to balance well with your fly rod. It is going to change your cast significantly, even an ounce on like a super light trout rod. Uh, having an ounce too heavy of a reel is going to make a huge difference. Conversely, if you're doing something like Euro-nymphing and your reel is too light, then your 10, 11, 12-foot rod, even if it's a 3 or 4 weight, is going to be just really torquing down from the tip end uh, as you're high-sticking and trying to maintain a nice, steady handle and get a lot of feel trying to figure out if you're getting uh, nicks and taps from from bites. So you want a reel that balances well. So how do you how do you deal with this? Uh, as I've talked about before, there's two things you can do. One, make sure that you have a place that will give you a rod and reel to at least put on, if not cast, but get a reel out of the case and the rod that you want. And even if it's pantomime casting, if they don't have that particular reel lined up, you can at least say, okay, this feels right, this feels balanced. Because the fly line is not going to add that much weight, even in a saltwater rig. Uh, having a, a you know a, a backing and line spooled up on that reel isn't going to change it significantly to the point where it's going to feel completely different than when you had it empty. And and of course that that's because if you're talking about you know it, it adds exponential amount of line and and 
backing. So you have a tiny little chart reel and tiny little chart ride. You only got to get a tiny little bit of backing and tiny little bit of line, uh, very, very low grain weight. So it's going to modify it slightly. You bump up to a big saltwater reel, it's going to be a lot of backing and it's going to be a lot of line, but it's going to be on a really big bulky reel and a really big bulky rod. So it's not going to make that big of an impact. So find a fly shop that is going to let you take a reel out of the reel case, put it on the rod that you already own or the rod that you're buying from them and at least wiggle it around in the store, take it on the parking lot and kind of pretend to do do what you're going to do and make sure it feels good both in casting. It doesn't feel like it's too heavy underneath the uh, butt of your wrist or if it's too top heavy, it feels like it, it kind of wants to pull itself out of your hand uh, where where the, the rod grip is leaving between your thumb and your, your index finger. Um, you'll, you'll know it when you feel it and it's wrong like that. You will know, uh, I think by and large, most, most reels match well. If it's like a five, a reel that's designed for four or five weight or five, six weight, it's going to match well with a five weight rod. Uh, but there are some reels that are going to be too heavy and some reels that are going to be way too light for certain rods. Uh, I have a, a, a super light reel and it does not pair well with my bamboo rods because uh, it uh, it doesn't offer any counterbalance to that slower action. Even though it's a light, modern, contemporary bamboo fly rod, it still has that slower action. So when it is flexing, um, it feels like it, it wants to pull itself out of the top of my hand. Uh, if I have no rod, no no uh, weight down below it in the in a good solid reel. I also have the the opposite situation where I have reels that are super heavy, like I have a reel that's a little bit bulky, but still kind of technically matches with a, a six weight rod. But this particular reel, it's heavy to begin with. And then I have a, a weighted, a density compensated line on it uh, that I use for like seven or eight weight. So when this thing gets on a lighter six weight, it just feels way too heavy and uh, it, it's not comfortable to cast for a, a long period of time. So these are just some things to think about. Now you can you can make your reel heavier if you are in a situation where you have a really really light reel, a little bit of lead tape or or weighted tape around the inside of that spool before you put backing on is the way to go about it. But that's an, a whole article on castingacross.com called Tale of the Tape, so you can check that out. But since we are on the inside of the spool of the reel, let's talk real quick about backing. Best thing you can do with backing is to go to a fly shop and have them put backing on for you. If you are experienced in this, you can probably do it pretty well. And you know, I'm super hypocritical in the in the fact that I just spooled up a uh, spool of backing onto a new fly reel at home just a couple days ago. But as I was doing it, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking this is okay, but it's not great, especially under two circumstances. One. It's a saltwater reel, and you want all the backing on there that you can have, um, or you're using gel spun backing, and you want to make sure that it is lined up perfectly and it's not loose because that stuff will bind and and uh, pull into itself, and then you'll get a really really bad tangle. And now there's no point to have backing at that point. You might as well just tie your fly line to the inside of your spool. Uh, so that's that's the first one. The second one is if you are fishing with a really light reel or really small reel and you don't have that much backing capacity you want every foot that you can fit on there 
um, without leaving too much empty space on, on that reel. So if you go to a shop and they have a spooling device, they're going to be able to count off the feet or the yards, whatever it is, um, that, that you are able to get on that reel and get it done perfectly with the perfect tautness. And it's going to probably have some sort of guide such that it lays down perfectly. It's not going to be you know, clumped up on one side. There's not going to be a, any bumps in it. It's going to be nice and smooth. Uh, I remember when I was working at a fly shop when I was in my late teens, and after like spooling up two reels to practice, it was I was doing it flawlessly. So there's there's no level of of expertise that is involved, but anybody at a fly shop will hopefully happily spool you up. And any fly shop worth their worth their weight, and I. I'm sure there's people out there that don't do that, but I think it's kind of silly that you don't. If you buy a reel and a line, they ought to spool up your reel with backing and line, but also give you your backing for free. There's no reason why if they just sold, you know, bare minimum $250 of, of equipment, they can't fork over maybe $5 worth of, worth of backing. And they should let you choose which color you want to. But another reason for this is that you can't always buy spools of backing in the exact amount that you want to and need to put on your reel. So uh, a reel I had recently said, okay, it takes 150 yards of 20 pound backing. Well, I had either a 100 yard spool or a 200 yard spool in my possession. I could have gone out and bought a 150 yard spool of backing, but I don't need more gear to then now just either throw away 50 yards of backing or have 50 yards of backing sitting around. So I had to eyeball it. Um, and the problem with eyeballing it is if you put on too much, now your fly line isn't going to fit on right. Or you, you end up playing this game where you're like, well, if I reel it in perfectly and reel it in tightly, then it will it, it will fit. But that's not what happens in the field, and chances are you're, you're going to get frustrated with that very soon because your cage of your, your reel is going to have some place where it connects to, for stability and for structural integrity. And that piece, both by your reel foot and probably on the opposite end of the reel, the, the part that's further away from, from your rod butt, that's going to rub against your fly line. And you can actually damage your fly line pretty, pretty good uh, by rubbing against those spots as you rotate that reel every time you, you reel. So you don't want that to be the case. But if you put too much backing on there, you're going to be faced with that dilemma. So then what do you end up doing? You end up pulling all that line off, which isn't awful. I mean, you're talking about 90 feet top. So you pull it all off and you then start stripping out backing. And then you run into one or two problems if you take too much off or you don't put enough on to begin with. The first one is, is that now you don't have as much backing as you should have, or now you have a really, really tight little spool uh, that your fly line has wound around. And every, you know, centimeter matters um, in reducing that memory of that fly line have you don't want line that is in this tight little coil so you want as the right amount of backing both so that you have that extra backing for if you do get into a fish and secondly so that your spool width is as wide of a diameter as possible to cut down on the memory on that fly line and the best way to accommodate that is to go to a fly shop that will spool things up for you with the right amount of backing Another thing that you should pay attention to when you're looking at a reel, either for the first time or when you're inspecting your reels for the season, is the handle. I can't tell you how many times a handle has been the bane of my existence, and a few things have caused this problem. 
One, it gets slippery from something like sunscreen or bug spray. I hate sunscreen. I hate bug spray, uh, which I've talked about at length before, and I'm not going on the rabbit trail right now. But if you have a handle that is really smooth, and I've encountered those wooden handles with and with uh, hard plastic handles, rubberized handles usually hold up a little bit better with this. But that is a frustrating thing, uh, especially when that handle uh, is able to spin. So it's on a screw, but it's it's offset enough from the body of the reel that the, the handle can spin. That way you can hold it tightly and you can reel. But if it does spin and it's a little bit uh, greasy, then it's still going to be spinning in between your fingers. But the other problem is reels that have a handle that is not perfectly round, so kind of that paddle style that especially that you, you've come to expect with a lot of modern reels, but especially larger reels, saltwater reels, things like that, where it's not something you're going to pinch just between the tip of your uh, thumb and forefinger like with a trout reel, but you're going to grab with your thumb and, and probably your first knuckle uh, or your second knuckle of your, of your index finger. Now those, the problem comes if that screw gets too tight or there's some gunk that gets in between that handle of that reel and the reel itself and it starts to stick uh, because once you're moving that thing quickly and now if that that little handle for that reel does not spin freely so that your hand is able to move in whatever motion you want your hand to move to comfortably and quickly reel that in and you're forced to bend your wrist or the thing slips out of your hands if you're trying to reel real fast but it's not spinning with you huge frustration so if you are finding that your reel knob is starting to get a little bit sticky, uh, you can do a couple things. I would say the easiest and first things to do is use a little bit of lubricant. Make sure it doesn't get onto your line. Make sure it doesn't get into your drag, but just put it in the where that screw is, um, both the head of the screw. And if that doesn't do a whole lot, then maybe down by where that uh, reel handle connects with the body of, of your reel frame. And if you do that, um, I guess it wouldn't be a real frame, it would be a spool frame. Um, but anyway, do it there, um, let it soak in, wipe it up so it doesn't get all over everything, doesn't get on the real handle itself so it doesn't get greasy, and see if that works. If not, you can try backing off on your uh, your screw a little bit with uh, just a very, very light hand, quarter turns, and you'll find that usually that fixes it. Sometimes things just get tightened up. If it got a little bit stuck and then you rotated it, it could have tightened that screw on you. Um, but that can happen. Small things. But I have a couple reels that were just giving me so many problems, and I was just dealing with it for so long, and I realized, you know what, why don't I fix this? And now it's not as uncomfortable. And again, little things like that aren't a huge deal until it happens over and over and over again. You realize, I'm spending a lot of energy worrying about this. I might as well just take a second and fix it. And it's a very, very easy fix. So check your reel handles, and if they're sticky, then fix them. Another maintenance issue to consider is your reel foot. So the reel foot is the part of the reel that slides onto the reel seat of your rod. And the particular points of interest that I'm thinking of are where it slides up under the uh, handle, the grip, and then where the uplocking uh, portion slides up uh, and over the reel foot. So what can happen is if you drop your reels, which the best of us do, my goodness, I think I mentioned this in a podcast, but I dropped a reel recently because I was just not thinking and my brain wasn't working and I had my fly in one hand and my rod and reel in the other hand and I'm getting ready to drop the fly to fish with it and I just completely held onto the fly and dropped my rod and reel and uh, hooked myself and like jacked up my, my reel at the same time. Just a real classy move. I think it was the last day of fishing of the uh, 2021 season is when I did that. 
But uh, anyway, real seats, or excuse me, uh, real foot. The real foot can get bent, and and if you're fishing with a lighter reel, like a trout reel, or you're fishing with a die cast reel and you drop it, that's probably one of the two situations where you're going to get it bent a little bit. Now, what's the problem with this? The problem with this is that once you slide it onto the reel seat, if it's only slightly bent and it doesn't feel that different, a couple things are going to happen. Uh, one, it's going to be bent enough that you're going to have to tighten that uh, that uplocking seat of the, the rod butt onto it tighter than you should, and it's going to start to distort part of that hardware that holds your reel on your rod, uh, and, and that will happen over time. Uh, secondly, it might put it off kilter ever so slightly, and so you're not going to be able to get a nice tight connection, and what will happen is that it will fight against the hardware that's locking your reel onto your rod, and it will loosen up over time, and it'll eventually, as you're making a big fast double cat uh, double haul cast it's going to come sliding off and drop into the water at your feet which again hopefully you've got enough line through your guides and through your rod tip where you're going to be able to retrieve it no problem but it's very inconvenient and it's a way to further damage your reel so inspect your reel seat every once in a while just set it on a table and is our, our you know it's a concave sur- uh, um, surface on the bottom of that real foot because it has to adapt to uh, a potentially uh, convex rod uh, uh, real seat on your rod and so if you set it down and it's not those two parallel lines of the outer surface of that real uh, uh, real foot sitting flat on the table then you might need to do some adjustments um, Small adjustments you might be able to do on your own uh, using, boy, I'm, I really hesitate to say this, um, get creative. I, I'm not going to advocate you messing with that. I've done it before, uh, but it's not going to be something that I, I want you to jack up your reel. So what, what you do, send it back to the manufacturer. Say, hey, this is out of whack. This is out of kilter. Can you put it on a piece of equipment? If you have a friend who's a machinist or somebody like that, then take it to them. Uh, but it it will not work in the long run. You will damage your uh your real seat on your rod and the, the uplocking hardware on your rod if if that is bent. Um, but the manufacturer should be able to take care of you. And like I said, if you do want to tinker around, you probably can fix it. It isn't impossible, but I just don't want to be liable for giving you bad advice. Not that you would complain to me, but I just don't want to be the one that gave you that idea. So yeah, send it back to the manufacturer. That's what warranties are for. And you will have a reel that sits snugly and safely on your rod. The one last thing that I want to mention before I wrap up this podcast is just take care of your reels. Clean them, inspect them, and and sniff them. So why sniff them? This isn't a real problem. This is a backing problem. Backing, uh, with the exception of, of some nicer gel spuns, but Dacron backing will hold moisture and it will get funky. Anything that holds moisture is going to get funky over time. So sniff your reel. If it smells funky, then you want to pull that, uh, that line off and the line might still be okay, and most of the backing might be okay, but there might be some places where it's held some moisture, and there could even be mold or mildew in your your backing uh, on, on your reel. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, 
it could spread it could it could uh, make you know get to the back of your fly line especially if you're fishing on a trout rod and you're not necessarily getting to that like 80 or 90 foot mark of your line very frequently it might get there but it's just not good you don't want moldy stuff you know hanging around so sniff it if it smells bad then figure out why it smells bad it might not be too late to actually just wipe it up and clean it up and, and you should be okay uh, but if, if there is mold or mildew on your backing i would go ahead and pull it all off start over and give your your spool a, a nice deep clean um, so do that rinse things out even click paw reels although it is an incredibly simple mechanism that is is effectively just a spring uh, or metal clip if, if you will that's causing enough tension to slow down that spool from spinning in a, in a free spool manner uh, if some grit gets in there if some debris gets in there um, and again if, if it's kind of the kind of debris that could hold moisture now you have the potential not for mold or mildew but the potential for rust and a tiny little clip even if it's made out of stainless steel is eventually going to have a problem with that so just check those things out and see if there's any wear. If it's a click paw reel, again, you know, not a super complex mechanism, but it, over time it, it has the potential to fail. And so if it looks like it's getting close, now's the time to call the manufacturer and say, hey, I need this. And these parts are almost all super simple to do repairs at home, but it's better to have one on hand that way right before it fails or after it fails, if you if it's not a huge, huge deal, um, then you can go ahead and replace it. You're not going to be without equipment for a long time. I've tried to kind of piece together and, and cobble uh, DIY repairs on some on some real parts. It's just not worth it. It's easier calling the manufacturer, spending five bucks, and then another couple bucks for shipping and handling to get that sent out to you so you can have it taken care of. Uh, so smell the backing, take a look at those, those inner parts, and then rinse and dry your reels. Rinse and dry your reels. There is so much unseen gunk. I have a number of uh, disc drags that are not sealed drags, and they have performed great for over 20 years now. And all I do is rinse them, rinse them, and let them dry. Uh, so much of your gear will benefit from being rinsed and dried. Uh, you rinse it with clean water, whether you're fishing in fresh water, because there's so much, uh, you know, turbidity. There's so many, you know, so much tiny matter in uh, in even the cleanest of water. Um, but rinsing it in your tap or in your hose is going to flush all that stuff out. And then, of course, if you're fishing in the salt, I mean, you can use the 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 cutest, tiniest little um, uh, freshwater reel in the salt. As long as you clean it afterwards, it's going to be completely fine. Uh, and and so do that even with your gear that is rated for salt water. And if you're not fishing salt all the time, then that is a reason why you don't need to invest in a big uh, heavy-duty sealed drag because if you clean it, then you'll be okay. All right, a couple of random real things. This is fun. I enjoyed talking about it. I got actually a lot more mileage out of the few things I wanted to mention than I thought I did. So maybe we'll have another real focus podcast coming up in the near future. Uh, if you have any important real things that you want to share, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. If you have anything that speaks directly to something I mentioned about real today in the podcast, let me know. Again, Matthew at castingacross.com. And you can also reach out feedback because in a couple episodes, uh, not episode 178 or 179, but 180, wow, 180, I will be doing listener and reader feedback on another accusations podcast. So do let me know on social media at casting across or Matthew at casting across.com. This week on castingacross.com. First article, what's in your fly wallet? What's in your fly wallet? So the fly wallet is like the original fly box. Well, I don't know if it's original. I'm not sure what the original fly box is. I don't know if it's like a fancy little 
aluminum spring hinge box or if it is a wallet or if maybe it's the the the, the felt band on someone's hat not sure um, I'm sure the information's out there but uh, fly wallets are very traditional you know when I was younger and probably up until only about 15 years ago Orvis ran this deal where they would send you a fleece shilling fleece fly wallet with like 12 of their favorite flies for like 15 bucks and it was basically a way to get on their their um, catalog rotation uh, but anyway they're I think they're great I don't use a shirling fleece one. Actually, I take that back. I have a fleece wallet that I use for poppers, um, and it's in this article. And uh, But I like Velcro uh, fly wallets. And so if you want a picture of a Velcro fly wallet, you can see one on what's in your fly wallet, and you can hear why I use them and why I think they are worth consideration. And uh, my favorite fly wallet I will talk about at the end of this podcast in the recommendation for this week. Second article is Rusty Flybox Vacation. Rusty Flybox Vacation. This episode is being released while I am wrapping up a trip down south. It's not a fishing trip, but it's a trip in which I fish. Anyway, uh, on this post, I am including three articles that have to do with vacation, getting away. There's some story, there's some technique, so check that out, and hopefully you're planning a vacation. People are out and about and traveling after a few years of laying low. It's good to get away, so hopefully you get a chance to do that. This week's recommendation is the VitaVu Fly Wallet. So VitaVu, great company, handmade in the United States, in Massachusetts, to order uh, excellent, durable, better American gear. They have three fly wallets. There's the Core, which is an 8-inch, a Predator, which is a 10-inch, and the Fly, which is 12-inch. And uh, you can get them in vinyl, you can get it in a mesh, you can get it in um, in a, a wax canvas, uh, all sorts of materials you can get it in. But the inside is um, uh, the loop side of Velcro material, which is great, holds flies, but you're able to pull them out very easily also. So uh, these are great fly wallets. They're never going to fail on you. Um, the they have a little pocket inside where you can slide some leaders or or like shock tippets or things like that, and uh, you can um, they, they velcro closed. Uh, you can roll them uh, if you, if you want them to be more compact from uh, like a, a square inch standpoint, or you fold them. They're like trifold and they can slide uh, into a uh, into your waders. You can put them in your vest. You can put them in your sling pack, wherever. But uh, awesome little fly wallets. Just a great thing to have on hand. Um, I, I mentioned in the article, use them for flat saltwater flies, uh, flatter streamers, as well as poppers. I think they're the, the best way to store that stuff, but you can really store anything in there with the exception of dry flies that you want to protect the hackle. So definitely check that out. I'll put a link to the VitaVu uh, fly wallets on this show's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Live Stream Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. In Wild Country... 
rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.